Well, hello, church family again. Uh, this is uh, part four of our daily weekday Devo in the book of Esther. We're in chapter one right now. If you haven't heard the other three, I would recommend that you kind of work, uh, go back and listen to those because it's kind of built upon the things that we already know about this book. Um, just a little quick review, though. Uh, we're talking about how God is using uh, the situation through the book of Esther, even though he is not present in it. And I think this whole book highlights just the way um, how people react to life, and even how Christians react to life, and how government reacts to life, how, how everyone in every uh, society acts a certain way, and each of them uh, are, is ultimately under God's sovereign rule. Uh, on the first point, uh, we talked about how non-Christians react to life, and oftentimes they do things uh, impulsively. Uh, they, they act like non-believers, so we shouldn't be surprised by it. And oftentimes, and even you see today, that non-believers, they have no control over life, much like believers. But the difference between believers and non-believers is that believers have hope, whereas non-believers freak out when they have no control over their life. And yesterday we talked about how the government reacts to life. Uh, we talked about how the government regulates morality. Uh, they're, um, they try to put rules in hopes to change people. But we know biblically that uh, you know, unless the person have a new, has a new heart, unless they give their life to Christ, uh, there is no morality that can change anyone. And we, t- we saw how in the text where the king makes this edict and uh, in hopes that every woman and wife in the land will submit and honor their own husbands. And we know that that doesn't work. You can't m- regulate morality. Uh, but at the same time, we also talked about how uh, the government has this function uh, in terms of suppressing evil and, and governing the society. Uh, but there are times when they'll make a rule that is, uh, that is something that we don't need to submit to. So there are things that we need to submit to, and there are other things that we don't. And the things that we don't need to submit to um, are things that the Bible mandates. So things like uh, LGBTQ or abortion or things like that, things that are promoting sin, they want the church to commit these sins, we can say no to those things. We will not bow down to those. Um, and lastly, on, on how government uh, reacts to life is that man's law changes like the wind. Uh, one day the government will do something, and the next day they'll do something else. And, and I shared how uh, in the coming months as we're reaching toward the election, whoever wins is going to be someone that either make rules that are for Christians and, and religious liberty, and there might be people that are against religious liberty, and it just goes back and forth. We live in a time that just sways between one or the other, and that's just how the government works. That's how human government works. Uh, they just change based on the times. <laughs> so, so now we're going to get to the third point here, and it's how believers should respond in this life, how, how believers should react to the things of life. If you look at chapter 1 of Esther, you'll notice something, and that is there aren't any Jews. There aren't any believers. God is not referenced in this entire book, but there aren't any believers in this first chapter. Uh, there's no temple. There's no prophets. There's no priest. They're, they're not in the land. In fact, at this point, the Jews are exiled from the land. They're under Persian captivity. And if you understand the Old Testament, God has said that if the Jews fail to obey the Lord, if they did not uh, uh, walk faithfully with him, if they turned their hearts away from him, and he will remove them from the land. And this is part of God's punishment to show 
that his people need to be a holy people. And although uh, there are remnants, even in this time there's Ezra and Nehemiah that existed, I think in the context of what's going on with Esther, which is a little bit different, like uh, in terms of location, separate from Ezra and Nehemiah, um, Esther's not like them. Uh, and what does that mean? What, I, what I'm implying is that since uh, there are no believers in this book whatsoever, uh, Sherlock Holmes said that uh, no evidence is evidence. And I think the reason why you don't see any of these things is that there are no believers, that, and, I, and I'm including even both people like Esther and Mordecai. So then it's like, wait, what? You don't think Esther's a believer? Yeah, I would uh, argue that. And I've, I can change my position down the line. Uh, recently, I've been just been studying through the Bible. And I realized that there's some things I used to hold to that I might not hold to now. And I'm sure at this point, I don't believe, and you'll see as we go through this book, that I don't even think someone like Esther and Mordecai are believers because there's no indication. And you can see in their actions as well that they don't really have a reverence for the Lord. How they operated through life is no different from how the Persians operated life. They were doing what they felt like they were doing things that were the, for their own self-interest. Yet despite all of that, God is still in control. He's still moving uh, individuals uh, providentially uh, to preserve his people, um, to even though they're rebellious, he's still protecting them without their awareness. And I think that's why in this book we don't see God present, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, got a little bit jumping, a teaser, or jumping ahead of myself, whatever. But I think the fact that God, God is not evident is to show that the Israelites have failed in their obedience to the Lord. In fact, in Deuteronomy 31, it says that if these Israelites fail to submit to the Lord, God will turn and make himself not available for them. And I think that's what's going on here in the book of Esther, that God is distancing himself from the scene. Like he's not, he's not as apparent because it's a show that this is his judgment on the people of Israel. And I think this is what even we talk about in Romans 11, where Paul talks about how uh, he's, God stopped using the Israelites and the Jews and started using the church uh, because of Israel's hard-heartedness, uh, the Lord has cut them off and now grafted the church into it. Uh, so in our day, the church is supposed to represent Christ. We're supposed to represent in a way that Israel, the Israel failed to do so. But we also know in Romans 11 that there will come a day where the, the Jews will return. They will obey the Lord once again. But in this context, in this book right now, they are in exile and they're doing what is essentially what's right in their own eyes. So what are these application points in terms of how believers should react, and especially when there aren't any believers here? Well, we should see that Christians should have a positive impact in society. Historically, Christians tend to shine the brightest during the times of great trials. Uh, if you look at why things like the Red Cross exist, it's during times when uh, Christians were willing to uh, not fear. It was scary to go through difficult times, but they're willing to care for those that are in need. Uh, you think about all the Salvation Army, all of the nonprofit things that, or even hospitals, things that our culture take for granted. They were started because believers had an understanding that they need to care for their neighbors, they need to love them. Uh, there was a positive contribution to society, um, which means that when Christians are removed from society, there is a natural indication or implication that society will crumble apart. In fact, I would argue that if if, if Christians are not present, uh, they, they lose a positive uh, influence, even in like a secular sense. 
uh, this country as a whole has benefited greatly because there's this understanding that every man is made in the image of God. And uh, that's why I think this nation prospered the way that it did, because it had this basic biblical worldview. Now, this makes us wonder, though, if if Christians are removed from the site and it doesn't have any lasting impact, that would mean that we fail to do what we were supposed to do as Christians. If you think about your workplace, uh, if you were fired today, if you or you left your company today, would there be a negative impact on the company, or would it be or would the company be better without you? Uh, if you left your home, if you have non-believing family, let's say, if you left your home, would the family be better if you were gone? If you profess to be a Christian, your absence should be a negative to them. It should, it should, they should feel that there's something missing without you in it. It should be a call for us Christians to be a light in the world. Uh, Matthew 5, 13, 16 it tells us to let our light shine before men so that they can uh, praise the, uh, our Heavenly Father. Our hope is that the way that we live out our life, the good things that we do, we need to make it known to others. And this isn't for us to boast or brag or show off. We're supposed to be representatives of Christ. Um, we're, I know some of you guys now are, are living at home. And I know that might be difficult, especially if it's with your family and you know, you're a parent or whatever, but you need to see this as a privileged opportunity. You just see being where you're at as a privileged opportunity to represent the Lord. Uh, if you're a parent, you need to see this time with your kids as a, as a privilege that you get to raise your kids and you have this ex- intensive time with your family. Um, and if you have non-believing parents or relatives, <coughs> excuse me, if you have non-believing Family members, here's your, here's a perfect time for you to represent Christ. Uh, that you can show them what it's like to be content. You can show them what it's like to be joyful. Uh, you could show them self-sacrifice. I think one of the dangers and even regrets of my life as a younger person uh, when I was in college was that I did not seize those opportunities well. I would go into, I would be in LA, I would learn all the great doctrine, and then when I get home, I find myself being lazy. Uh, I found myself kind of just stepping back and like, uh, well, I don't need to work as hard on my sanctification because it's just my family members. You know, they know me. And it got to the point where I realized I was convicted by it because it's like, well, they're non-believers. They don't know truth. And if I, if I was the only representative there, would they be, would I be a faithful representative of Christ? Or put another way, if my Southern California friends saw me, saw the way to act in Northern California, would it be the same? Would they say, hey, why do you act so differently? In other words, am I a hypocrite? So it's those times when you're at home, with especially with your non-believing friends and family, that you need to actually put on Christ the most. Because they see you, you're already at a, at a disadvantage because they see your sin growing up. You need to outshine all of that. You need to be able to faithfully live for Christ in such a way that they, that you being there will have a lasting positive footprint, gospel footprint in their life. So that's what I hope uh, as a devotion is. We look through the book of Esther, you don't see any faithful Jews. Again, I said that this takes place between Ezra 6 and 7, and I think this little interlude shows you that you have this contrast between Ezra and Nehemiah who were faithful, and you have someone like Esther who, even then, despite their, their circumstances, uh, is basically sinners doing what they want, but yet God is still preserving his people. So God is the hero of the story, not Esther, not Mordecai, and I know... As a parent, I'm reading all these like children Bibles to to my kids, and they 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 view Esther as this 
you know, like a good godly woman. I'm like, maybe not. And we'll see why when we get to chapter two and beyond. Uh, but with that said, I, I hope that this was helpful for you. Um, uh, and I hope that as you think about this, this today, think about how you can live um, Christ-like before your family. How can you live differently? How can, if people were to look at you, how would they know that you are distinct, that you're not of this world? Uh, so that's my challenge for not just you guys, but for myself as well. And again, I hope this is helpful, and I look forward to going through this book with you uh, the next day. Okay, thanks for listening.